Hi there, folks, and thanks for joining us today. This is NTI's Japan Real Estate Podcast, and I'm your host, Zivna Kojimam, again. Hope things are well your end. Beautiful, sunny autumn day here in Fukuoka City, Japan. Hope it's as lovely wherever in the world you're tuning in from. So today we're revisiting the U.S. Army and Navy rentals topic, which, again, is a topic that seems to be hitting the right chord with many of our listeners. And we've just had a few more of you uh, contact us and chat us up about it. So in this particular conversation that you're going to be listening to, we speak with a group of U.S.-based investors, three of them, who are not present in Japan just yet, but they will be stationed here, uh, or rather two of them are going to be stationed here uh, in Yokosuka, which is a large base in a medium-sized town, about 45 minutes or an hour south of Tokyo, so very central location, as opposed to some of the other spots we've discussed with our previous investors who are into this business scheme. And these guys are not too familiar with the Japanese market, so the conversation actually spanned a lot more than just their particular business plan, which we touched upon in detail too, of course. But we also talk more basic stuff, uh, market fundamentals, both historical and current trends. And we also try to speculate a bit about the future. And we touch on taxation, accounting, corporate ownership of rental properties, the difference between Japanese tenants and foreigner tenants, relationships with neighbors, um, working with local professionals, realtors, property managers, renovation companies, and so forth, um, zoning regulations, so many, many other topics. Nice, long, super detailed conversation. This one's about 40 minutes long, so buckle in, enjoy, and I will see you again on the other side. Yeah, so how can we help? I looked at your um, business plan, and you had a bunch of questions there. So do you want to maybe run that by me first in your own words, and then I'll probably be able to answer some of the questions already? Absolutely. Philip, you want to go through very quickly? Yeah, so basically our, our situation, similar to uh, some other people that you've talked to, uh, we listen to some of your podcasts, and we're both uh, U.S. Navy. All three of us are in the Navy, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, Julie and I are coming to Japan mm -hmm. pretty soon. I'll be there before the end of the year, and Julie will be there at the start of next year. And we're very interested in purchasing a property and uh, living in it while we're there, and then after we leave, renting it out. We've been doing a lot of research on it and uh, exploring different different ways to make it possible because it's not the easiest yeah. thing in the world for us to buy property in Japan. Right. And then we came across you, and yeah. uh, that seems to be your area of expertise. So. Um, yeah. So your so the business plan document that you've sent to me that lays out um, rentals to others. That's not the plan immediately. You're first going to be living there, are you? Yes, yeah. that's correct. Okay, and then when you leave, when you get stationed elsewhere, then you're going to be renting it out? Yes. Okay, and you're going to be renting it out to hopefully base personnel who will be paying much more than local residents, I'm assuming. That's the goal. Yeah. Okay. And like we on the Navy, so with our connection, we believe that we can easily find another military like tenant to rent our property after we Right. Well, that, that all makes sense. If you've been listening to the podcast, so you've probably heard the last episode we did with somebody in a similar situation, the last two actually, um, you really want to, I mean, property in Yokosuka has gone up slightly. Uh, it sort of uh, feeds off the Tokyo real estate market. So when Tokyo goes up, um, it, also pardon me, it also follows, although not to the same degree. Um, but you wouldn't want to bank on capital growth in Japan as a rule, and definitely not out of um, Tokyo, Osaka, Fukuoka, maybe a couple of major cities. Um, mm -hmm. 
and rent is going to be quite significantly lower if you're going to be leasing to Japanese tenants. So you do want to make sure that you're getting as much of your rental income, as much of, of your capital back via rental income to base personnel. Um, because once, if and when that dries out for any reason, then you're going to be, your yield is going to be significantly compressed. I mean, most people who invest in Japan invest in condo units, not in houses. Um, just because the main, the building materials um, and the longevity of the houses here is not meant to um, last nearly as, as much as the uh, reinforced concrete blocks. And at your budget, you mentioned a budget of about 100,000 US. So at that budget, you're not going to be buying anything that's, say, younger than 95, I'm guessing, if you're purchasing roundabout now. Yeah. Um, and they're mostly going to be wooden structures. I'd say primarily, 100% probably going to be wooden structures, which means that once they hit 25 years of age, maintenance starts piling up. Okay, so that's about now. Yes, so which is why you're seeing them sold um, for a relatively low price. All right. Okay, that makes sense. Gotcha. So do you think we could find a property in the Rukoska uh, area for our price range, a decent property? Uh, that would be like an apartment or a condo instead of a house? Apartments or condos, definitely. I mean, um, it, it depends on what the base specifies as minimum size. So obviously, the price would um, would be reflected. Yeah, we said fifty square meters. Fifty square meter. Well, I'll just have a quick look at what our customers have got there. So our clients usually go for the cash cows, which means they're um, age-wise they're about similar to what you've been discussing. So kind of mid eighties to maybe two thousand tops. Um, but size-wise, they're a lot smaller. So most people purchase, to get the highest yield, they usually purchase something that's under 25 square. Um, and those in Yokosuka, I'm just looking now, so something that was purchased, um, say, 2016, built 1985, 17 square meters, that was purchased for 4 million yen, so about 40,000 US. Yeah, we'd be looking for a little bigger than that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm guessing uh, 50 square, you'd probably be able to fit in that budget if you don't mind it being not too new, I'd say mid-80s again. Yeah, I mean, as long as it's a decent property with good structure, doesn't need too much maintenance, that should be yeah. fine. I feel uh, like if, if you look at like our business plan, Towards the very end, we like attach a few pictures of the houses we found so yep. far, yep. and then all of them are in like the five to six million, like five to seven million yen range. So for us, that'll be like fifty to like seventy thousand range, and then the house that we like the most is built in nineteen ninety six, and it's about a hundred meters square. Um, but it is a house, and it's definitely on the older side. Yep. So that's, I'll just open your um, business plan now with a sample. Just give me a second. Yeah, 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 just getting down there. Okay, so the sample, the 1966, I definitely steer clear of. Um, That would not be a property that you want to be purchasing because you're going to be buying straight into a lot of maintenance. Okay. Um, The 1993... um, Looks like it could be viable. I mean, the, the thing is with the uh, with renting to base personnel, the thing is that the um, 
what the base dictates as criteria is really something um, that's going to be the most limiting for you. So there might be houses that are um, within a reasonable distance to the base that wouldn't be a problem, but um, I think from memory going off um, requirements from other bases in Japan, um, they look at asbestos and lead paint checks that a lot of homeowners in Japan are not going to have as a given. So that's something that you might need to commission before you purchase. Um, and they also specify uh, some sizes for parking areas, I think. Um, I'm not sure how it goes in Yokosuka. I haven't seen their criteria. So your selection is going to be limited more by the basis criteria than it is by what's available in the market. There's going to be quite a few properties available on the market. Um, but the base might uh, limit you to what you can actually go for. So that, that'll take a bit of research to find the right one. Right. So from according to our research so far, there are like three criteria criterias for the base. First, it needs to be bigger than 50 square meters. Second, it needs to be within a 50 kilometer range, so 30 mile range. Yeah. Uh, like that's a pretty large circle. Um, that includes the Yokohama area, um, even like towards like the outskirts of Tokyo. Right. It touches like pretty far. And the third is it has to pass the inspection the base. However, like from what we've heard, the inspection is just very basic, like uh, earthquake and fire hazard inspection. So this is all like we've heard so far and like the current research, and we definitely learn more information once we get there. Okay, so you, I think you definitely want to confirm that because I'll just give you an example of what we've just received from another um, from another client in a similar situation to yours. Just give me a second. Because um, there were a lot, a lot more criteria um, than what you've just mentioned there, and I'm just wondering if that's um, something that you still haven't looked into, or maybe Okoska is just a lot more lenient than um, other bases are. That's the only thing. So let me. Yeah, we haven't looked too much into it yet. Okay, yeah. let, let me just bring that up for a second. Sorry. Yeah. Um, Base is like this person, like this military person from. Is he like also navy, or is he like army or air force? Um, navy, I think. Okay, so it's either Sasebo or Okinawa. I believe that's the only like three naval bases. Um, no, he's up in Aomori actually. Just give me a second, but I could be wrong. He, <laughs> might, he might not be navy. Just give me a second. Mm-hmm. Um, Uh, okay, so we've got um, so there's a lot of things in there that probably are subject to uh, inspection. So um, mentions of uh, sufficient space for this and adequate space for that, and a, a lot of vague terms that could be interpreted in different ways. I'm not sure. Have you actually received a document from Yukoska that says um, anything more specific? Not yet. Not yet. Yeah, yeah, okay. No. So this is you're going off what what they just told you in a conversation or what other people said or pretty much yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
Um, you might want to just look into that a little bit because I think there could be some criteria there that you'll need to satisfy um, beyond what you've just mentioned. Okay. Um, but aside from that, yeah, so the price point is not a problem. Houses would definitely, um, houses that have been built 20, 25 years ago would definitely satisfy um, your, your budget. That's not going to be a huge issue. Um, I guess um, you asked some other questions. Do, do you want to just go through your list of questions or... Yeah, that'd be great. Well, I'll uh, start us off. Yep. So you just have a couple questions here, just so we can try and learn more. Um, first off, so from what we understand from your other podcast, you replaced the buyer side, so our realtor, uh, pretty much? No, we don't replace them. We're an added layer. So um, because it can be difficult in Japan for um, non-residents or non-Japanese um, to work directly with the realtors and property lawyers and so forth, they usually need um, either to work with a pretty, pretty limited selection of realtors who actually cater to foreigners. So Yokosuka and Tokyo would have a few of those, um, but again, not a huge amount. Um, and then people hire us to come in and give them access to the entire market. So we represent them in front of the realtors. Whether there's going to be a buyer side realtor or not depends on the listing. So some listings um, are put out there by the uh, seller side realtors and then we can contact them directly. Others are sourced through the seller side realtors to other realtors, which then uh, in theory become the buyer side realtors. And those guys share their commissions between them. So you don't need to pay anybody anything extra if there's a buyer side realtor involved or not. Um, but if yeah, you're working, we sorry, go ahead. Uh, could we go through those commissions? So what would uh, the buyer side, the realtor, the seller realtor, and what uh, commission what percentage would we pay you? Well, the realtors charge, um, the way it works out is 5% um, up to 2 million and then 4% up to, it works out to be 3% plus 60,000 yen plus tax. Um, for a property um, at the budget that you're talking about, it's usually going to be somewhere between 45 to 4.8%. And then if there are two realtors involved, then they would share that commission between them. Mm -hmm. And they get paid by both sides. So they get the same commission from the seller and from the buyer. If there's a single realtor, um, he keeps all of that. And if there's two of them, they share it between them 50-50. Okay. And if you need somebody like us to facilitate the purchase uh, and conduct the settlement on your behalf, um, sign documents and so forth, then we charge an additional, uh, at this budget, we charge an additional 4% plus tax, so 4.4. Mm -hmm. Okay, awesome. I just have a follow-up question to that. Go for it. So you, you mentioned that there's a limited number of realtors that are um, familiar with working with like foreigners. Yep. Um, is there like a list of, uh, list of like realtors that you uh, work with often or is that something we should uh, do our own research and provide uh, to you? Well, if you hire us, then we would be accessing the entire market. So not specifically the realtors that work with foreigners. So we give them a Japanese company, a Japanese face to deal with. And um, through a power of attorney document, we sort of um, verify, ensure for them that they're never, have to, they're never going to have to uh, provide documents in English or speak English or anything, which is really what they're concerned about. Mm -hmm. um, we can refer you to particular realtors that can provide services in English. Um, there are two or three in the Tokyo area that we sometimes work with. Um, but there are a lot more that we work with um, that are strictly Japanese realtors, which is what we usually prefer to do unless somebody specifically wants to work with an English-speaking realtor. Okay. 
So basically, if we hire you and purchase a house, we'll be paying like a normal like 4.5 to 5 percent realtor fee plus a 4.5 percent fee uh, to you as a like a like a middle 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 person. Co- correct, but we don't. I mean, we do more than just facilitate the sale. I mean, we'll research for you, we'll conduct due diligence on the properties, we'll make recommendations um, based on your criteria, but also based on what we think might be a better or, or not so good deal. And we'll also provide you with a negotiation option. So if we think that there's something in that particular property that should enable us to reduce the price, then we'll do our best to reduce the price for you. So I think our, our clients tend to think that. Um, our fee is more than covered by what we do up to the sale as well. And then if you are present in Japan and you do read and write the language, uh, then you can just conduct settlement on your own. Otherwise, we'll do that for you as well. Okay. Okay. Awesome. And, and let's say if we do hire you, we do become your client and we purchase a house, can you also act like a rental realtor to us? Like if you purchase a house through an LLC, can you draw out some lease agreement and then like, Rent it to us? Uh, again, we work with third parties. So we would work with a local property manager who will be drawing out the lease, and we can represent you in signing uh, that lease, and we can represent you in. Um, I mean, there has to be a property manager in place who will be collecting the rent from you and then depositing into uh, the LLC's account if they've got an account in Japan or. We will be acting on the buyers on the uh, owner side, so we will be representing the LLC and collecting the rent for them, and then issuing an annual statement and sending funds to them whenever they ask us. So I'm not sure whether you're going to be setting up a local corporate structure or if you're just going to be purchasing through the American LLC. That's up to you. Does that does that matter? Um. It matters just as far as upkeep costs go. So if you establish a branch office in Japan, there's um. Setup cost is about three thousand US, and then there's about two thousand, two thousand five hundred US a year in uh, annual bookkeeping and accounting, uh, which is a lot cheaper if you uh, purchase as an individual or if you're not setting up a corporate in Japan. Um, so, using an American LLC, are there any fees associated with that? Um, no particular. I mean, Japan, Japan does as long as it's an incorporated entity, not like a. a NPO or anything of that sort. As long as it's an actual company, then Japan allows individual or corporate ownership. It doesn't matter to them. The only thing awesome. is that you won't be able to open a local bank account. So you will need to use somebody like us. And you're not going to have a local address and local phone number. And um, I mean, Japan is pretty high tech in some aspects, but in many aspects, especially in the real estate industry, it's still very old school. So bills need to be paid in person. Uh, if they can be auto-deducted, it has to be from a Japanese bank account. They can't really receive or send funds overseas. And they need a local address and phone number that they can put on their file to communicate with. So if you're not going to be setting up a local corporate structure here, then you'll need somebody like us to um, act as your arm sort of thing when you're not here. Okay, awesome. Yeah, yeah so you mentioned uh, property managers. How does that work in Japan? Uh, so what kind of services and fees are there? Is it like a 10% flat rate, like uh, of the mo- uh, 10% of the rent each month? Do they charge that? Is there a fee like um, It varies. There are companies that charge as much as 10%, but most of them would be charging 5%. Okay. And plus tax again from the gross rental income. And then they charge additional fees when they need to place tenants. They charge the first one or two months 
of rent, depending on how easy it is for them to find a tenant. If they have to then, um, if they find it difficult to place a tenant and they have to uh, share the listing with other property managers, they might charge uh, two months instead of the one month. Okay. Uh, so they can share their commission with each other and they charge a renewal fee when the contact is renewed, which is usually also either half a month or one month of rent. Um, and that happens every two years normally. They would normally try to charge it to the tenant, but in some cases, um, if the tenants in that area are not used to paying a renewal fee, then that might go to the owner. Okay. So like, if you want to buy the house, other than the buyer side realtor and the seller side realtor fee, what other fee should we be like concerned about? So like, we know that we have to buy insurance, a fire earthquake, and like, so can you expand on that and also can you expand how the tax work? So the purchase tax um, depends on the official evaluation of the property, which can be different from the market price that you've purchased it for. It usually averages out to about 2.5, 2.6% of the property price. And that's, that statement arrives somewhere between 6 to 24 months post-purchase, depending on how busy they are at the Legal Affairs Bureau. And then... The legal and registration fees, again, vary depending on the official evaluation or the last official evaluation of the property. So that can be anywhere from 3 to 8%, usually ends up being something like 35 to 5%. Um, but again, if the, if the market's gone down significantly and you're purchasing a property for a lot lower than it was evaluated for a year or two years back, and then those legal fees will still be based on the last evaluation, in which case it could be closer to 7 8%. Okay. So in that case, should we like do another uh, like evaluation with the property to try down the legal fee? Um, well, that, that comes out of the uh, government, the taxation department's offices once every couple of years. It's not something that you can... I mean, you can commission a realtor to give you a market price, but that's not going to affect the, uh, the government's evaluation of it. So you're looking at the total cost, um, if you're working directly with a realtor, total cost of maybe up to 15% all up. Uh, so the realtor fee, the purchase tax, the legal and registration fees. Uh, if you're working with somebody like us, it could be up to maybe 20%. We, we take worst case scenarios um, just because we don't know the actual costs until settlement uh, is a lot closer. Yeah. And in reality, it usually turns out to be Something like 12-13% if you're walking direct and 16-17% if you're walking through someone like us. Okay, gotcha. So uh, in a previous podcast, you mentioned that there are very like niche and specific things in Japan, like uh, taking out trash and like certain uh, days, certain like uh, colored bags, dividing it up a certain way. Are there any other like really specific things that if we're looking to get into the Japanese market and come into Japan that we should know uh, before? Um, as far as tendencies are concerned, not that much. So zoning, for example, is actually pretty lenient in Japan. If somebody's renting a property and also running an office in the property, um, that's usually not an issue. I mean, if it's a, an actual shop and there's walk-in traffic, then you might need to uh, look into the zoning. But normally, you can work... Um, from home as well. That's not going to be an issue for anyone. Um, just normal stuff. I mean, don't bother the neighbors. Don't be too noisy. Uh, 
you're not allowed to park your car on the street. So you have to have a designated parking spot either in your home or one that you're renting out somewhere in the neighborhood. Um, yeah, I mean, th there's not really any laws except just saying don't bother the neighbors kind of thing. But neighbors in Japan are used to very quiet environments. So if it does get noisy, um, they will most definitely call the cops on you. So that's something that you uh, need to uh, make sure that the house is like... But I mean, if you're not throwing parties uh, every left, right and center and there's no domestic violence and things being thrown and exploding in the house, you should be right. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the uh, Yokosuka market? Um, if there's any reports, like market analysis reports, that show like the job growth or the median household household income and things like that. Um, do you know anything about those? And median household income we haven't looked into, so I can't tell you much about that. We can research it and let you know. Um, I can tell you that the city's population is in slight decline, so they're losing something like half a percent to 1% a year. And I think they're at about 409,000 now. Oh no, as of 2017, and they were 418,000 in 2015. Um, but in the five, seven years prior to that, they only lost about 1%. So we, we don't have population uh, census numbers yet for 2020. I think they were delayed because of the uh, COVID situation. Uh, but once that comes out, I'll be able to tell you whether the uh, decline has halted or if it's gotten worse or if it's actually going up. We don't know that. Um, property price-wise, like I said, they have gone up slightly, sort of on the back of Tokyo. So they've gone up maybe 10% over the last four years. So something like 2 2.5% a year. Uh, Industry-wise, aside from the base, which provides a lot of the uh, economy, uh, is driving a lot of the economy there, there's also, it's a mix, blue-collar, white-collar sort of place. So they've got a lot of uh, manufacturing plants, mainly for Nissan and some of its subsidiary companies. So they do auto parts there and, and then produce some vehicles and ship them off to other ports uh, in Japan. And they've also got a large uh, telecommunications research center that's been built there 25 years ago. Uh, and there's a lot of R&D, a lot of engineering going on there as well. Quite a few companies um, located in Yokosuka that do that. So it's a nice mixed industry. I mean, it's definitely not a, a one-trick pony kind of place. But the population is in slight decline. Is the census the best kind of resource to kind of learn those uh, traits, like you said? Or is there, is there like, I, I, I know you do the research, uh, your team does the research and everything, but are there any like reports that we can also kind of like look over to? Uh, yeah, so population-wise, the census is usually the best, uh, the best source. Uh, when it's centralized, they, they put it out every five years. So when it's centralized every five years, it's really easy to uh, browse through and sort and uh, go by cities. If it's not, um, you could go into each and every city's um, government department websites. Most of them would be in Japanese, but uh, if you look on Wikipedia, they often translate some of that info uh, at least as far back as uh, three or four years. So even if the census, for example, the census at the moment is only up to 2015, but if you look on Wikipedia, you'll see data up to 2017. Um, otherwise, yeah, just go to Yokosuka's, uh, Yokosuka City's uh, web, uh, government, local government website and you can see some population numbers there.
And for property prices, uh, Mitsui Fudosan puts out very detailed statistics every year. So you should be able to uh, find land prices and structure prices uh, trends as well over there. And that's in English. Or they have an English version, at least. Yeah, so would you say it's a good market to buy, uh, in your opinion, the coast market? Um, if you're buying small condo units for your typical Japanese tenants and they're quite central, not too far from the main few train stations in the center of the city, it's a good market. It's higher yield than Tokyo and cheaper than Tokyo. Um, if you're buying houses, again, uh, I would go strictly for um, U.S.-based personnel. I wouldn't try to buy a house and lease it out to normal Japanese tenants. Um, but honestly, I wouldn't do that anywhere in Japan, not specifically in Yokosuka. Mm. And small buildings would definitely be a good market for small buildings in Yokosuka. So if you can buy a small multifamily residential block, say two or three floors up to eight or ten units, um, that would definitely be a good market to get into as well there. Yeah, that's definitely. <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah company specialized in like focus on multifamily investing in the U.S. So like, okay. you really like multifamily. Multifamily yeah. as in houses or small unit blocks or what? Uh, commercial apartment buildings. Commercial buildings, okay. Um, commercial in Japan is um, it's a good deal, but like anywhere else in the world, it's more volatile to economic trends than residential uh, properties are. Um, so you can, like for example, a residential property in Japan, you're not going to be raising the rent normally. So when you renew the lease, uh, unless the economy takes a giant leap forward and rents start going up, but that hasn't happened for a long time here. Um, but with the commercial properties, you can raise the rent when you renew the lease. That's uh, doable. If the business is doing well and it's been there for a few years, you could raise the rent for them. Um, but last uh, six, seven months, I wouldn't advise to go into commercial at the moment, unless you've got a really long-term game plan and you can weather the storm because we don't know. I mean, a lot of businesses have been closing and downsizing and relocating because of the COVID situation. Actually, I have a question. You mentioned like eight to ten units. Because um, in the U.S., anything with uh, five units and up is considered commercial uh, real estate. In Japan, is it like similar or how does that work? Not residential. Country? That's still considered residential. Oh, so when would it be considered commercial? Uh, if well, it's running businesses, if you're buying, uh, if you're buying uh, shops or an office building or anything that's being used for commercial ten tenancies, and then it's considered a commercial property. So is there no cap on number of units and you'll all be a residential, like 10 units, 15 units, 30 units? Cap as in what? As in you being allowed to buy it, you mean? Or? I mean like the limit on number of units for it to be considered residential? No. Well, co considered by whom? What What do you mean? <laughs> Sorry, because I'm, I'm getting confused because like, in, you know, in U.S., five units and up is considered commercial even though it's for tax. By the government. By the government. Yeah. But I guess it's not the case in Japan. Do you mean considered commercial for tax purposes? For who can purchase it? For loans? For for what purpose? Considered by who? For loans, um, tax purposes, just this classification of the uh, real estate, the type of real estate it is. Right. Um, for loans purpose, um, you're going to have to let them know from the get-go if you're buying a house to uh, property to live in or a property that's going to be rented out. Um, it's a lot easier to get a homeowner uh, a homeowner loan than it is to get an investment property loan in Japan. 
Um, for taxation purposes, the real uh, thing is who owns the property. So if an individual owns the property, it's taxed a certain way. And if a, a corporate structure owns the property, it's taxed in a different way. Um, so the residential commercial uh, differentiation really refers to only uh, what sort of tenancy leases you've got there. Are you leasing out to um, residential tenants or commercial tenants, meaning people running an office or a shop or that sort of thing? I see. Mm -hmm. yeah. So also like we wonder, uh, if we were to buy the house, what's the exiting process like? So for example, like after we leave Japan, after we rent it out to other people, like we're like, okay, now's the time to sell the house. What was that process like? And then so in the United States, we can do like a like a 1031 exchange, which is like a tax deferral strategy. So if you have any capital gain of the house, you can like take that and then reinvest it without getting taxed. Does Japan have anything like that? Um, well, as non-residents, Japan really only taxes you based on your uh, income. Mm -hmm. They don't care about your income overseas unless you've been living here as a resident for longer than five years. Um, so mm -hmm. tax on a single house, I'd say tax is not going to be a huge issue for you in any case. You're probably going to be either under the reporting threshold or on the very lowest, say, 5% income tax. Um, and capital growth tax does exist here, but honestly hasn't been a huge issue unless you purchased in central Tokyo and Osaka. I mean, you're not going to be looking at a, uh, any sort of capital growth, definitely not with an older house in Yokosuka. Um, right. So there hasn't really been a need for anyone to do anything of that sort, but an accountant can definitely advise you on that. I'm not aware of any particular legislation that refers to um, selling it or anything down the track, except the capital growth, uh, capital gains tax is doubled if you sell it within five years from purchase. Okay, gotcha. But again, you yeah. partly, that, that's, that's tax on net profits. So taking into account the purchase and costs, uh, the purchase and sale costs. Um, and the fact that property prices haven't grown that significantly here, you're probably not going to be up for any capital gains tax anyway. So I've actually just came up with a question. So let's say if we can get more money, we have, like attract more investors, um, and then we have the capital to buy a multifamily home in the Yokosuka area, let's say like four or six unit multifamily home or like apartment or whatever, like, in your opinion, would that be better than single-family home? And can you expand on that? So kind of like on the previous question, like can you just expand on that a little bit more? Um, well, it's better on a few fronts. So first, it gives you more diversity. Obviously, if you've got uh, four or six tenants as opposed to one tenant, um, you're a better place than when a tenant moves out, you don't lose your entire income stream. So that, that's always a good thing. And you're probably going to be purchasing something with a bigger land plot as well. Um, so if prices do go up, um, you will stand to gain more, or at least you'll hold your value better than a smaller land plot. Um, but obviously maintenance costs would increase with the size of the property as well. So it's a matter of... The, the thing is when you're buying... The, the bigger the structure you're going to be buying, uh, the more capital you should set aside for uh, maintenance and renovations down the track. Um, so it's a matter of what your capital outlay looks like a few years ahead. It's really a, a personal criteria thing. Right. Would you say that the Japanese housing market market has bottomed? Like, 
right now is a good time to enter with the COVID situation and everything, or do you think it's still like very volatile? And like if we were to buy a like a large investment, like a multifamily home, that's a value can go down significantly over the next few years? Um that's really hard to answer for the future. I can tell you that um, the market has bottomed out in late 2012 and it's been um, steadily growing or more than steadily, it's been sharply growing in Tokyo, Osaka and Fukuoka. Um, other cities have been growing slightly or not growing, um, but definitely haven't gone back to uh, where they were pre-2012. With COVID in the last six months, we're seeing some price drops in Tokyo, Osaka, and Nagoya. Um, not huge drops anywhere else in the country. So the market's a little bit softer, but I wouldn't call it bottoming out quite yet. It's definitely, uh, it definitely hasn't gone back to where it was um, pre-2012. So that's the last bottom that I can see. Um, what's going to happen in the future is anyone's guess. I really, I wouldn't... I wouldn't presume to know that. I mean, the population here is still in decline. I'm not sure what the next prime minister is going to be like as far as immigration policies go. And mm -hmm. um, so if the workforce is shrinking, um, any growth would be good, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I mean, the Olympics have been canceled. Now they're saying they're going to put them on again. That's probably going to boost the market up a little bit. And um, if it does happen... Um, but again, COVID and, you know, second wave, third wave, I really, I really don't know what to tell you. Um, I would assume it cannot go down much further than it has in other parts of the country. But Tokyo and Osaka specifically are now close to where they were pre-bubble days, like pre-1990s. Um, so they've definitely got room to fall. Um, Yokosuka hasn't gone up that much. So I would assume Yokosuka is probably uh, pretty safe as far as price declines might go. Um, but again, that's all like educated guesswork. I wouldn't, I wouldn't bank on it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So the way I see it, uh, we're at the point right now where um, we need to actually find a place. Mm -hmm. So uh, I guess with our price range, would you be able to uh, look at the houses we sent you and do some research and let us know if there's anything that that looks appealing? Um, I can look. We can look over your samples, and we can do um, further research and provide other property potentials from uh, other realtors that we work with. Uh, we can definitely do that, but we normally do that after we get hired. So we can put in a, up to one, two hours of free research, but beyond that, we need to be engaged and paid. Yep. And once we've done that, then that fixed price that you pay us um, will cover you until you end up settling on whatever you want to. So we'll do. Um, I don't want to say endless, but a lot of research until we find the property that you're looking for. Um, people usually look at um, up to maybe 10, 15 potential properties before they tend to decide. But again, I would look at the exact criteria because you're going to be leasing it out to base personnel. So you want to make sure that you're actually looking at properties that would suit that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I so you, you mentioned that uh, it's possible to buy with an American LLC. Yep. So that, I mean, uh, it would, would it require American attorney, Japanese attorney, both, or how would that process uh, look like? Um, well, the legal side of it is all done in Japan. So all we need, all we need from you is your American incorporation papers and uh, uh, signatory authorization for whoever it is uh, who's representing the company. 
and then everything is handled on the Japanese side. Your accounting, though, uh, is obviously going to be uh, handled by both sides. So if you're going to own just a single family home and your net income per year is going to be under 4,000 bucks or so, you probably don't need a Japanese accountant because you're going to be under the reporting threshold. Um, but beyond that, or if you know that you're definitely planning to be purchasing further properties, say within a, a three or five year time window, which is um, the limit of time that you can push your purchase costs forward and claim them in losses. So if you're going, if you know that you're going to be purchasing other properties within three or five years, it might be a good idea to get a Japanese accountant on board from the start so they can um, file the property purchase to begin with, even if it's still tax free and start claiming deductions as soon as possible. And so if we do that in the future, bringing uh, passive investors to buy more properties in Japan, yep. um, what, what would that process look like, like financially and legally? Um, well, it depends on what your structure is going to be like. Are you going to hold all of the properties under the American LLC and then you're going to be like a fund for the investors? You're going to give them shares or you want them to actually own the properties directly? How, how will you operate? Have you thought about that? Uh, probably uh, it will be under American LLCs for sure. Um, they will receive uh, returns. Um, the title will be you know with, within the American LLC, but uh, yeah, they will just get their expected uh, returns. Well, that would be between you and the investors on the American side, though. Uh, the Japanese side wouldn't care what you're actually doing with the returns. I see. Yeah. So the return, they, the income goes to the LLC, and then whatever is done with it within the LLC is none of the uh, Japanese government's concern. Right, so if you've managed to stay with us for this entire chat, you're probably happy that you did. Plenty of interesting tidbits in there that I know many of you have probably found at least some value in. And if there was anything in there that you'd like to discuss in more detail with us, or if anything that we've discussed there brought up any questions on other topics that you'd like us to cover here, don't be shy. Hit us up in the comments section or via email on info at nippontradings.com. That's N-I-P-P-O-N tradings with an s all one word info at nippontradings.com and we'll answer all of your questions which is really our second favorite thing to do here at nti and second only to actually helping you buy sell manage your properties here in the land of the rising sun of course so i hope you've enjoyed this episode if you have we'd really appreciate it if you could take a moment of your time and throw us a bone in the form of a star rating or better yet a few words of review on the itunes store spotify Oh, and our podcast hosting service, Podigy, tells me that we're now also available on Amazon, although I couldn't really find us there. So if you happen to find our podcast on Amazon or are already tuning in from there, be a good sport and send us a link, would you? All right, that's it from us for today, folks. Thanks for tuning in. We hope to have you with us again next time here on the Japan Real Estate Podcast. Yoroshiku! Yoroshiku!